When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Get in the know, non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily on draft. Tyler Fornis, Thor Nystrom, Declan Goff here to break down uh, what we can do every Monday. Little mock draft simulations, little Vikings rookie camp observations. This is a 52-week daily or weekly Vikings show where we like to talk about the draft uh, from a year-round perspective and... We haven't gotten yet to any 2024 mocks, so that's where I want to lead us off here, fellas, uh, because draft season never sleeps, as I said off the top. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on a couple mock drafts that are already starting because that draft community just keeps going and going and going. So um, we're also going to talk a little Zadarius Smith uh, later on in this episode. He was traded for a couple fifth-round picks. We'll talk about that at length with my guys Thor and Tyler here. Uh, but, fellas, I want to start with uh, the, the Todd father, Todd McShay. <laughs> Right after the draft, he releases his 2024 mock draft. A way too early look, I believe, is what he calls of his mock draft. I might have to change that name, though, because now mock drafts, like, they're just coming out like crazy. I don't think you can even call it a way too early look. So I'm curious to see uh, how you guys think of who he has mocked to the Vikings here at pick 20. So he goes through his mock draft, and I'll, I'll go to the top here just, to, just for simplicity's sake. So Caleb Williams going number one. By the way, with a mock trade, the Bucks trade up. But the Bucks also just might be the worst team in the NFL next year. I wouldn't be shocked if they picked one, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr., though, going to the Cardinals at pick two. The wide receiver. Can't, it makes us feel old that now our guy like Marvin Harrison's son's going number two overall. I know you guys probably feel the exact same way, but that's pretty mind-blowing to me that he's going to go number two. Yep. And then, uh, at least he was drafted in 96. Like, Devin Hester's kid just got an... Just got into scholarship offer uh, FAU. Like that's that that one hurts. Asante Samuelson got drafted this year, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, a couple years ago. A couple years ago now. Yeah, that one. Yeah, made this me one was Joey good. Porter this year. Joey Porter was this year. Yeah, Antoine Winfield a few years back too. So yes, we are now entering that area. If you're like us, and you're in your 30s, where this is uh, now starting to rear its ugly head. The players you grew up watching, their kids are now dominating and being top draft picks. Uh, Drake May goes the Commanders uh, at pick number three. So a couple quarterbacks off the board there. Drake May, uh, Caleb Williams, obviously consensus. I should say Williams, then May, kind of number one, two respective quarterbacks going into next year's draft. But I want to scroll down here. I want to scroll all the way down because he has the Vikings picking 20th because, of course, because the Vikings always pick between, it seems like, pick 17 and 22. And at pick 20, Todd McShay has the Minnesota Vikings taking quarterback out of Michigan, J.J. McCarthy. So J.J. McCarthy going to the Vikings at pick 20. If I can get the I want to mock. There we go. And of course, the draft time. 
which I'm sure people are annoyed by, but it's back. This is, this is Purple Daily on Draft, damn it. We're going to hit those buttons when we can. Uh, but J.J. McCarthy to the Vikings at pick 20. Uh, Thor, I'll start with you. If this scenario does play out, it's J.J. McCarthy on the board at pick 20 about 50 weeks from now. Uh, good pick for the Vikings? Bad pick for the Vikings? What is your kind of overall read on J.J. McCarthy? I'm not going to argue it. Excuse me. I know. I'm all choked not up gonna, today, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, a, a, a little bit. Better than uh, Mitch Leidner for the for the Vikes there. <laughs> there it that's, is. That's, that's number one. There's better. one. Uh, like, this far out, I'm okay with that because McCarthy – so, you know, this class, you mentioned it. Like, it's Caleb Williams number one with a bullet. Like, he will be the first pick next year. It, it's just going to happen. Like, even more confident than that than Bryce Young a year ago now. And then May is going to be the second quarterback. And, yeah, I, he's going to go in the top three. Very well might be the number two pick. But, like, after that, that's where, you know, everyone is trying to decide who QB3 is right now. Uh, the, the Sort of the flavor of the day is is Michael Penix with that. And there's some other you – know, Michael Pratt's in there and stuff like that. McCarthy is one of those guys that can absolutely jump up into the first round. Uh, what he has going for him, it's like the NFL pocket game. Obviously, uh, playing for an NFL coach and Jim Harbaugh there at, at Michigan. And and he, he's he got a good arm uh, and, and a little bit of athleticism too. But, like, he needs to work on his body uh, a little bit skinny on the skinny side right now. And he has not made that jump yet to, to get into the first round. Like, you know, I mean, what we would traditionally think of, of the first-round quarterback. But he's only been on campus for a couple of years. We've only seen him full-time starting for one. And next year, Michigan might win the national title. Mm-hmm. Like, Michigan, they've made the last two college football playoffs. This team coming up is better than either of them. So McCarthy's going to be in a very advantageous situation. He's got Blake Corum coming back, a good offensive line, everything like that. So he has the shot. But, yeah, needs to add a little bit of muscle to, to the frame, whatnot. And then – we need to see that game tick up a little bit, but he has shown the promise to this point. Okay, okay. So a little bit of pocket presence to work with. He's in a great system with Michigan. Uh, Tyler, what is your kind of overall view? You obviously watch a lot of college football and Big Ten football as well. What's your view of J.J. McCarthy? Well, first you got to talk about the fact that he's a former five-star recruit, which means that this guy has a lot of raw tools and talent to work with. And one of the tough parts about going to a program like Michigan is like Jim Harbaugh, for all of his brilliance, uh, he's one of these Big Ten coaches that will just stick with the, uh, a guy who's been on campus longer than necessarily with more talent. And while Cade McNamara had success, there's a 0% chance he's a better quarterback than J.J. McCarthy. And we saw that this past year where he was really able to take that Michigan team to a different level. And, with, and a lot of it has to do with his dual threat ability. Not only can he beat you from the pocket, he's great at creating with his legs. He can run the football as well. And he just can make these wow throws that a an average starter like Cade McNamara, no matter how um, kind of cerebral he is and he doesn't make a ton of mistakes, he's he's just able to take the game to a new level. And Thor kind of laid it out really nicely, the fact that this Michigan team is going to be tremendous. They've had multiple defensive linemen over the past three years drafted in the first round. They're going to continue to reload on that side of the ball. McCarthy's going to have weapons. And Corum coming back might might have been the most important return in all of college football just because of what he's able to do with that offense they still have donovan edwards who has the potential to be like a top three to five running back when he comes out in a couple years just a true freshman last year played like lights out in against ohio state and in the college football playoff like mccarthy he has work to do like after the top two guys i don't think there's a any one certainty that's going to go in round one it's like quarterbacks three through twelve 
all have like, I could see them making this leap and being able to get there, but I need to see X, Y, and Z. Thor kind of uh, laid it out the pocket presence. I want to see him process a little faster too, to be able to hit some of those receivers without having to do some of that creationism. We're going to talk about Caleb Williams. I think he has a long way to go in that area too, but there's a lot of question marks and one more year of starting in college football is going to answer a lot of those. We're kind of in the same position we were in last year. We had CJ Stroud, we had Bryce Young and a bunch of what ifs. It's kind of what this class is too. And I could easily see McCarthy be anywhere from QB three to like QB 15. He's got to take a step. So obviously uh, McShay also mocks or, or references, I should say there are a handful of passes who could rise in round one McCarthy being one of them. Bo Nix, who I feel like is like 42 uh, at, at Oregon right now. He's been just been bouncing all over the damn place. Uh, Quinn Ewers is someone else. Uh, do you feel like McCarthy has the best chance to move up, given the fact that Michigan has such a good system? It's it they could be a national champion. I know national champion quarterbacks don't automatically mean first round talent. We saw that obviously this last year, Stenson mm-hmm. Bennett. Uh, but does McCarthy's stock probably have the most to gain, like in that collection of guys that you're talking about between three and six that could go up? I mean, Thor, do you kind of look at McCarthy as someone if he does have kind of a a, a season where he takes the next step? in his game that he's probably is likely to be QB three off the board. He, he's got a shot, but like, you know, in that group, so Bonex, that Bonex is not going to be QB three. Uh, like we've seen enough of Bonex at this point, And like, I'm happy now for Bo at his age 24 year, wherever he's at now that, yeah, he's starting, you know, last year he played well, but like Bonex is not going to be the third quarterback off the board, but like I think McCarthy's got a shot. Um, there's, and then there's, uh, I mean, you mentioned Quinn Ewers, Quinn Ewers needs to probably go even further than J.J. McCarthy to get there, but he might have the best arm of anyone in like that could be in the next class. And he throws the ball really funny, and it doesn't make any sense how like hard the pellets come out of, of, of his hand. But like it just is what it is. But like if he can, if if Ewers can take the leap in, like you know, with him, it's a lot of different things. Uh, accuracy and placement is at the top of the list. We need to see that better. But like he has. I mean, like he's got the right arm from God. So, so he's certainly in that discussion. Uh, my pet favorite of this, and this guy is not talked about nearly enough, is Shadir Sanders from Colorado. Who, you know, the the first two years he was in the FCS because he followed his dad Dion down there to play at Jackson mm-hmm. State, and just absolutely destroyed the FCS. Which it makes sense; he was a four star recruit and just blew it up. But this year he's going to Colorado, so we're going to get to see him on on the higher stage in the Power Five. And they have a really, really fun offense, Colorado does. The, the whole roster getting turned over there, Dion kicked out like literally an unprecedented amount of guys off a of scholarship where it's more than double the second highest team ever. I, I think they've already turned over like nearing 70 guys that were that were, you know, mm-hmm. on the roster, or whatever. But the, the and I think the defense is gonna be terrible at Colorado next year, but the offense is gonna be really fun because you have Shadir Sanders running it, and then the offensive coordinator they brought in with Sean Lewis from Kent State who previously was under Dino Babers, runs really high up-tempo, super-duper spread-out system. It's based on the old uh, Baylor offense under Art Bryles where they had like RG3 and all those different guys. They play this ludicrous tempo, and now they're bringing this to altitude in Boulder. So I like I think that's they're going to do really well with that. Shadir Sanders has absolutely has a big league arm, and he's Deion Sanders' kid. I probably don't need to tell you he's super-duper athletic. He doesn't get talked about enough just because he was down in the FCS. Not enough people have seen him yet, but I think he's absolutely in play for that quarterback three spot too. 
Okay, uh, Tyler, how about you? Is there any other quarterback uh, with McCarthy that can kind of, you can see their stock rising and maybe be that third quarterback off the board? The two that I kind of uh, circled, and, and I'll, I'll mention Michael Pratt at Tulane. I, I love him, but I, I wonder how much attention he's really going to get just because he's at Tulane. I mean, they went, they did go 11-2 and last year. They beat uh, USC in the Cotton Bowl, but at the same time, it's still Tulane. How much uh, attention is he going to get? Because like, I, I really think Quinn Ewers is the guy that's going to make that jump. And uh, Thor kind of mentioned a little bit. He's weird. Like, you see, you go and watch some of his uh, highlight tapes from camps and stuff, and he's making throws only, like, Patrick Mahomes can do. And he's just got this all-world arm talent. He was a perfect one out on the 24-7 sports composite. I believe he's the number one ranked recruit ever, um, according to the 24-7 sports composite, which is a big deal. He goes to Ohio State, ends up transferring back home to Texas. He's been in a college campus for this will be his third year. But at the end of the day, he's only 19, and he he has a long way to go. At times at Texas, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. But like the the quarter and a half he played against Alabama, he was torching them. And that can't be overstated. And we saw with Baker Mayfield in 2021, when you hurt that opposite shoulder, it can really affect a lot with your mechanics, your accuracy, your power, because it's your lead arm. And even though it doesn't necessarily control all your arm strength, it makes a difference. And I think that hindered him a lot in the back half of the year. He was just missing stuff he shouldn't. Like, corner routes were sailing on him. He was, like, overthrowing. Like I feel like he was compensating too much for that injured shoulder. And he's got all-world talent with the ability to make insane plays. And I think a second year in that Texas offense is going to be a big deal for him. The other guy is Michael Penix Jr. He's 24, transfer from Indiana. The play that most people remember from Penix is he beat Penn State in that pandemic year with a two-point conversion where he's diving like Michael Vick to get to the pylon. And it tremendous athlete. But he's got either, I can't remember if it's three or four season-ending injuries, including multiple torn ACLs. What are the, what's this guy's medicals? Because outside of the medicals, he can sling the football. He can make reads, uh, throw all over the field, make all the NFL throws you want to see. And he can process pretty well. He also is mobile enough. He's not a runner, but what he is able to do is he's able to create by flowing outside the pocket and be able to attack downfield. But medicals could honestly move him from a potential first round guy to a guy who, who is out of the league before training camp, kind of like how Carson Strong was the year before. There's going to be so much writing on how teams feel about his body. Let me ask you guys this a little off the wall, but uh, I know there's some overlap, obviously, with our Purple Daily audience who are Vikings fans and are obviously Gopher football fans. What's your guys' take on Ethan Kaya Kamenis here? So Tanner Morgan was the starter for a long, long time. Uh, now they're turning things over to him. Uh, what do you guys see from his game? He's obviously not being close to drafted by any means, but... If there's any Vikings and Purple Daily fans, I guess, that are overlapping, I would love to you know, pick your guys' brain of what you've seen from him because uh, I know there's a lot of Gopher football fans who probably would like to know if this guy could be a legitimate other uh, uh, big-time quarterback for them going forward. Yeah, with, with him, so, I mean, in terms of physical talent, he's one of the better ones they've had there in a while, certainly way better than than Tanner Morgan, just with the, the physical tools, right? Like, he has, I mean, he's growing into that NFL frame, he has a strong arm and he's athletic as well. I haven't seen it from that kid yet. I, I have not been impressed with his work yet, but you know, he's, he's young, you know, like uh, Tyler was bringing up the, 
the, that contextual factor with Quinn Ewers was a great point. And with, with Kaliak Manis, it's the same thing. But in the, the limited work I've seen from him so far, he needs a lot of work on, on the quarterbacky things, just being in the pocket, going through the progressions, you know, like throwing in rhythm, like, like just sort of the starter kit of stuff. I haven't even seen that with him yet. Obviously, the, now he has the whole training camp. It's his team now and stuff like that. You'd imagine that uh, area of his game is, is going to improve this coming season. But before we start talking about him as an NFL guy, needs to improve by leaps and bounds. Tyler? I think the dual threat ability is really uh, appealing with Kaliak Manis. And uh, against Wisconsin, I saw a few really nice plays, mm-hmm. some tight windows. But he's got a long way to go. He's a young kid who, uh, the fact that, as Thor mentioned, the ability to just have the offense all offseason, his team, get comfortable. Now, uh, having to place Kirk Soraka for the, the second time in as many years is going to be a little bit of a, a like an upset to the system. Like now you're talking about potentially having to learn a whole new playbook and stuff. But I, I know Simon is kind of stepping into that role, and I can't remember who the other guy is. I think it's a co-op. Garfunkel. Coordinator. Garfunkel. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's funny. I I, I completely <laughs> missed that. Um, but I Kaliak Manis has tools, and can you extract from those tools a quality quarterback? That's going to be the really big question. The running game is obviously one of the better ones in all of college football. They run the football more than every non-option team in the FBS, and that's going to be really nice for him as long as they're successful. If it stalls out. Are they going to be able to do non-RPO passing attack to be able to stay consistent on offense? Because it's something they couldn't do with Tanner Morgan in the last three years. 2019 they could, but this passing attack really struggled when they actually had to throw the football. So it's about getting him in positions to succeed. And I think the Wisconsin game really showed that I think that he could. I don't know if he will. Interesting. Uh, fellas, also in that 2024 mock, so obviously quarterback could be a big one there, but what other position groups could you see kind of popping up as top needs for the Vikings? I, we'll have to have the season play out, but what areas are they thin at? What areas also could they attack? I know quarterback's the most important, but Thor, is there any other position group that you probably would be surprised would also be near that top of that list when the Vikings are on the clock in round one next year? Yeah, outside of that, it's defense, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the the offensive, the pieces are mostly they're outside of, you know, identifying the quarterback of the future. So obviously that's the one that's at the forefront of people's minds and, and became even more so when they didn't extend Cousins. But everything else, it, you have the building blocks on offense, you you need them on defense. Uh, you have a couple ones that, that you're hoping for, um, you know, or, the, or that you can quote unquote build around, but like they just have a dearth of talent there and almost across – I mean, every single level of, the, you know, of all three levels of the defense, you're looking at it and you're like, this, this needs help in the future. So, I mean, you could almost just throw a dart, you know, I mean, like what happens with the Neil Hunter going forward? Does, you know, starting at edge, does Davenport play well enough to justify his contract being uh, re-upped after the year or for them trying to, because obviously he's on the one-year deal. The defensive front is 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 not great. Could probably use some help there. I know they would have liked to have gotten another nose tackle in this class. Uh, th- they couldn't get one till Dex is it Jaquelin? I'm working on Jaquelin Roy. I believe Jaquelin Roy. Oh, I'm getting close. At least I didn't call him Jacqueline this time. Uh, <laughs> the, the linebacker next uh, to Asamoa going forward, like you know, there and then uh, you know maybe safety. You're okayish, even you know with Harry being you know near the the end, whatever. But like. You have other guys outside of scene, but also cornerback is 
is isn't you know could be an issue too depending how and how the three young guys shake out this year so it defense 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 Tyler edge rusher that's number one with a bullet and it, here's the thing with edge rusher it can be solved pretty easy extend mm-hmm. Daniel Hunter extend Marcus Davenport if you believe that they can be the future of that unit but right now the only guys on the roster after this season are Patrick Jones the second Luigi Villain and Andre Carter the second Wanham free agent Hunter, free agent. Davenport, free agent. What's the status of that room moving forward? You have to be able to prioritize, like, this guy is going to be here for the long term, and we're going to financially commit to them. We believe they're going to be a centerpiece to that unit. Once, uh, Other than that, like, it's a ton of question marks. And now with Darius Smith gone, that's another variable component that you just added into the fracas. And then defensive line. A lot of decent players. There's not one player on that unit that's, like, very good. The closest ones are Harrison Phillips and Dean Lowry, and they're, like, above-average guys. You're And especially in this defense, you need a nose. You need a nose tackle that can two-gap and let these linebackers just shoot and attack downhill. Harrison Phillips, I don't think he's that guy. I think he's more of a 4-3, one technique, who's going to play a one-gap system, but he's not going to be a guy who can just flow um, in between both A-gaps. You need a Vince Wilfork type, somebody who can do that and manhandle these interior offensive linemen and then be able to shed those blocks and jump a gap to be able to stop the run. That was one of the biggest reasons why the Vikings defense was not very good last year. They couldn't do that. They couldn't stop the run because they couldn't two gap. And when you kind of look at everything um, in, in kind of a whole, you're, I think you're going to see elevations with the secondary. You're going to see Asamoah step up. You still need that store set, his running mate. But that defensive line and how they handle the line of scrimmage is the biggest concern I have with this team moving forward. Good stuff there, fellas. Uh, 2024 mocks, you will definitely get through a lot more throughout these uh, Purple Daily on draft episodes. So curious to see how these uh, develop basically week by week. So uh, this will be a fun one to uh, keep going down this path. Over the weekend... The Vikings obviously had a rookie minicamp as well. Jaron Hall, I believe that Thor said the Jaron Hall propaganda has kind of begun <laughs> from Kevin O'Connell. You weren't supposed to tell Tyler I said that off air. Yeah. Now I'm bringing it to the <laughs> forefront because I know uh, both you guys have different opinions on Jaron Hall. Uh, but Kevin O'Connell uh, was was kind of not raving about him, but saying positive things and whatnot. Judd was there also throwing some fastballs, asking Kevin O'Connell some questions on there. You can find kind of a full breakdown of that too also on this YouTube channel and podcast feed. Go check that out. Uh, but what were your guys' kind of takeaway, at least from afar? I know you weren't there, but what were your takeaways, Thor, at least from a rookie camp, maybe starting with Jaron Hall? Yeah, well, I mean, the Jaron Hall propaganda train has begun. Choo-choo. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, with, with Jaron Hall, like, what are you going to tell with when they're in the, the shorts and whatnot? I mean, like, give me a break with the quarterbacks. <laughs> I mean, almost every single position, but it's like, you know, it's like it's it's like you know, you guys are protesting too much, trying to trying to build this guy up, and and you know, in in the air practice, whatever, in the shorts. Um, so like you know, the, the, there was certainly that. Uh, we we got some positive uh, stuff about Addison and his route running and the footwork and everything like that, which is you know, I like the thing that led his eval. So, but like you know, showing people uh, in person that, and then I, you know, one of the other guys that was was getting a lot of love from that was Andre Carter. Um, it sounds like the, the coaching staff loves him. They were raving about him again. Um, as we talked about before, Andre Carter's making this roster. Uh, he was from the second he signed that contract because they gave him, it wasn't just a record in guarantees. It was also a record in guaranteed base rookie salary. 
So they were just telling him you're you you were on this team. The bonuses, the guarantees, like were analogous. It was either late fifth round or, or sixth round, like pick or whatever. Um, so Andre Carter was lucky that he turned out not to get drafted. But you know, Kevin O'Connell was saying this stuff about we just basically bought another draft pick um, in, in in getting him, and I I don't disagree with that. The the other thing that I thought was uh, was noteworthy was Kevin O'Connell referred to Ivan Pace Jr. from Cincinnati, who I actually had rated as the number two overall of UDFA. I, I had him even higher than Carter. He referred to him as one of the best linebackers in the draft. So the the Vikings clearly like Ivan Pace. I like Ivan Pace quite a bit. And we were just talking about the linebacker room after this coming season where Jordan Hicks ostensibly is gone. You have an open spot. If Ivan Pace can make that roster and impress through special teams work in particular in year one, but then also, you know, maybe get some some situational edge rushing stuff working in, uh, replacing Hicks on on that sort of stuff. Maybe they start to look at him as as a guy that you can that you can have in the starting lineup potentially in twenty twenty four. So another thing to monitor. Interesting, uh, Tyler. I know you're you're kind of heading this propaganda train from Jaron Hall. <laughs> so it might be you and Kevin O'Connell working hand in hand in cahoots here. But what do you think of huh? Some takeaways from Vikings rookie minicamp. In fairness, I have. I have really tried to at least lay out the 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 baseline that he's still a fifth round pick. Mm-hmm. We have to look at it from that context. But I, I'll be honest; I think that you can look at some of the things in rookie minicamp and really be able to take some positive things. And a lot of it doesn't necessarily have to do with what's on the field. It's about how are you handling this new environment? How are you handling being a leader? Because you want to be able to see some of those things, especially from a quarterback and one who has as much life experience as Jaron Hall does at twenty five years old. You should be a step above a lot of these guys who are much younger than you in being that leader on the field. And how do you handle this new environment? How are you doing those things? And the fact that there is so much positive coming from that, like you already know how he's going to throw a football. Like that's that shouldn't really pop off to you at this point. It's the intangible stuff. And that's what you can really read in from this. But I will say some of the things that I saw from Jordan Addison and just like, like highlight clips, like, this dude is nuts, absolutely nuts. And he is going to be able to get open against second corners like nobody's business. And I'm really excited to kind of see how that continues to grow and develop. What really was intriguing to me is I heard absolutely nothing about Makai Blackman and Jay Ward. Hmm. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Right. Because sometimes at corner, if you, they don't hear your name, you're doing something right. But I, I found that intriguing that I saw no chatter about Blackman or Ward at all from anybody who was there. I don't remember hearing a quote uh, about either of them from O'Connell. And that that piqued my interest a lot. And I'm going to continue to follow that as we get through regular minicamp. On that last point, Tyler, and, and this can happen a lot in hockey, uh, especially when someone like a prospect or a rookie is making their debut or they don't want to, they're just trying to blend in a little bit. Not being noticeable is sometimes a good thing, right? Like being Absolutely. noticeable could be you mean you're making glaring mistakes, you're you're in a bad position. Um, th- th- those could be those could be all bad things. But sometimes when you're not noticeable, it means you're in the right lanes, you're doing all the right things. They might not be showing up on a box score like a statistic would, but you're all playing your ro- role and you're playing where you should play. So that could be the case with those two. Definitely something to watch going forward. On the Addison front, um, Judd said, and I, I believe you guys would probably agree with this. Addison's not a burner. Like Addison's not going to uh, blow you away with his straight line speed. But probably what separates him and what's going to make him a very good NFL prospect 
is that route running, right? Like, is is the route running where he can use to kind of get open, and he might not have the great athleticism score, but his route running, right, Thor, is probably going to be something that makes him be a viable option almost right away in the Vikings offense. 1,000%, yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's playing across from Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson came in, and people were a bit te- – and I'll even toss my name in with that. We're a little yep, bit more, more tepid on him coming out. And But, like, the one thing that everyone knew that Justin Jefferson had was he's a really good route runner that knows what he's doing. We didn't give him enough credit for his athletic profile. We didn't give him enough credit for his – we didn't give him enough credit for basically everything else. But we knew that he had that. It's so, so important. Jordan, Jordan Addison has the exact same thing. And like we talked about during the process, it's both the know-how, also the cleverness of sort of seeing the game through the cornerback's eyes and then doing, you know, sort of like a chess match where you're just setting them up on everything to do the wrong thing because you're seeing the game, which a lot of receivers do not do stuff like that. It's it's a really advanced thing. But it's also the athletic traits that he brings to it, which I, I think are, are under-discussed in that aspect because we don't test for them. Uh, one of them that that I always look at with the, the tracking when they put the, the chips in the guys, it's max deceleration and max acceleration, which are two things that are super important, uh, both into and then out of the route breaks. Addison is tremendous at both of those things. And then he cuts the clean corners in the route breaks as well. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just so impossible to stay with them, particularly out of the route break. You don't know when it's coming. So then he drops that pitch in. Then he's going the other way. It's just so hard to stay with him. That's how he always throws those those windows open. And then, yes, he does he does lack the burner speed, but he has really, really quick acceleration. So that's how he can just sort of squirt into the openings once he has the ball. And, again, he's always creating those windows because of the route running. Tyler, same thing. Like, is this his route running going to be something that opens up this Vikings offense? And then I guess a question in a question to you guys, too. If Addison and TJ Hawkinson, by the way, are opening things up in an intermediate style of play, and I know Jefferson draws a lot of attention, but does Justin Jefferson be, probably have a more, does he have more of a deep threat game if these guys are now going to be start being more intermediate players? Like, does Jefferson have now more of a deep threat, which we haven't seen too much from him? Is that like the next level to Jefferson's game if these guys are causing so much hell, basically, in the intermediate routes? It's possible. Um, I, I think the the thing with kind of the Jefferson deep threat comment is how much attention are you going to have to pay to Hawkinson and Addison? And are you going to be able to, to really get Jefferson a lot of one-on-one looks? Because when they found those one-on-one looks uh, like uh, against New Orleans, against Washington, they were able to get those nine routes and hit them deep for 40, 50 yards. And against the Saints, he torched Marshawn Lattimore at the end of the fourth quarter. Like, are you going to be able to get those kind of looks? Because, if they're having to pay more attention and just play like a standard zone versus, hey, we're just going to put one guy over the top of Jefferson at all times, yeah, I think you could have something there. But I think you're going to have to prove that first, that you're going to be able to dominate with Hawkinson and Addison before you start taking a little bit of pressure off of covering Jefferson. But one of the things I found with Addison is, you guys remember the, I think it's one of the first scenes in the Fast and the Furious, like the original one, where they, they just have the quarter mile race. And then yeah. you see the shots of all of them like shifting. Yes. Addison doesn't have like that great top 10 speed, but <laughs> to kind of loop in that deceleration to uh, put it in more layman's terms, he's a perfect shifter. He's going to be able to hit that shifter at the exact right mark to be able to get the most acceleration out of those breaks. And he can threaten with his speed enough down the field. And we saw that at USC how he was able to kind of out leverage corners, even ones who are NFL caliber, like Kai Blue Kelly. But 
he's not going to be Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle. He's not going to just, oh, I'm just going to run past you. But he has enough nuance and savvy and the ability to utilize his body and head fakes to get the cornerback flat-footed and then stack him. Just loop around and get right in front of him and and keep that distance. I think because of those elements, uh, Addison can be kind of looked at the same as Justin Jefferson in that Mm. aspect, where he's just got so much savvy and so much ability. It doesn't necessarily matter that he has like a little bit of a slower 40 time because he's able to maximize what he has. Like Devontae Adams ran like a 4-5-1 or 4-5-2 coming out of Fresno State. Look at how good he is at being able to just torch cornerbacks deep because he has that knowledge and savvy. And that's kind of how I relate Addison. He just gets how to play receiver. And sometimes that's a lot more important than being athletic. Absolutely. And, and the, the thing that I would add to that is like right now we look at the NFL combine testing or the, the pro day testing as the thing in the future. You know, the thing I'm talking about with, with the chips where they can measure the max deceleration, the max mm-hmm. acceleration, the max speed on the field which just think about it. Obviously that is more important than your 40 time when you're in tights in front of, you know, in in the indie dome or whatever, like that stuff in the future, it's already things that the NFL is baking in like way more than the public is because we don't have access to all, all that information. I think in the future, once that stuff, those numbers start to get put out there, you're going to see a shift in the draft media where then that those are the numbers that they are citing as much or more than the combine stuff. And, and, and the reason I bring this up with regards to Jordan Addison, the chips have Jordan Addison, the, the microchips, 90th percentile in play speed, max speed on the field. He moves around better uh, on the field than he did when he was wearing, you know, the, the, whatever he's not the downfield burner. No, but like in between that, that just really quick acceleration, that first 10 yards, that ability to sort of score through his play speed is more than adequate, but, but like where he really plays, it's eating in the intermediate area because of that slick route running that we're talking about mm-hmm. the deceleration, the acceleration, and, and the manifestation for Jefferson on the other side, what we talked about all spring is you just need another receiver on the other side of the field that will disincentivize the defense from bracketing Jefferson over the top and or double teaming him every single play. Jordan Addison is absolutely going to do that. Is that going to open up Justin Jefferson for more downfield shots? Yes. Is that going to open up Justin Jefferson for a whole bunch of other opportunities in addition to that? Yes. Because if the defenses don't get out of that and, and, and you know, like, you know, and, and, and have, you know, we're not going to double team Jefferson every single play. Addison will abuse them. TJ Hawkinson will abuse him because now TJ Hawkinson going to have, he's not the only guy in the intermediate area anymore. Adam Thielen just couldn't beat the one-on-one coverage last year. Jordan Addison will beat it every single rep. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. Uh, and also, we'll have plenty of more observations, OTAs and other camps uh, that are coming up here for uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, so plenty of things to get into uh, throughout the course of this summer. I'm excited to talk to Thor and Tyler about that. Uh, every week right here on Purple Daily on Draft. Uh, on Friday evening, fellas, a little bit of um, a breaking news came out that Zadarius Smith was going to the Cleveland Browns. So the full trade, I believe, is the Browns acquire Smith, a 2025-6, and a seventh-round draft picks in exchange for the 2024 and 2025 fifth-round picks to the Vikings. Uh, so Zadarius Smith goes to Cleveland. The Vikings basically get 
two fifth-round picks uh, for a pass rusher who had in the first half of the season legitimately could have been uh, a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. In the second half of the season with that injury was basically ineffective and was a non-factor. Uh, I guess, what was your guys' take that uh, Zedarius Smith basically went for what is just two day three picks? Are we surprised? Is that about the right value? Did it exceed your expectations? Uh, Tyler, actually, I'll go to you here. When you saw that trade go down on Friday night, and of course, I was a couple cocktails in, so by the time that came down, I was like, whoa, that, that one is a little surprising. Mm-hmm. What was your kind of overall takeaway of Zadarius Smith going to Cleveland? I was having a Corona on the patio, and I run inside <laughs> of the wife's like, what's going on? I'm like, I got to go work. She's like, why? I'm like, oh, Zadarius Smith got traded. And then it was just like, all right, let's see what happens. But uh, this is why Quaycito Fomenta held on to him. He knew that he didn't want to lose an asset for absolutely nothing. And essentially, they tur- they just turned Jesse Davis into a fifth-round pick, a guy they were just going to cut. I mean, they shouldn't have signed him to begin with, but that's a whole other story. Like, they, the value they got for Smith was, I think, relatively fair. I thought his value should have been, like, in a vacuum. Smith in a fourth goes for a third and a fifth. So you get, like, uh, a low three, high four that kind of value. They got a low four, high five. And according to the Rich Hill trade chart, like that's pretty good value considering the age, the injury history and the contract you're dealing away. Not a lot of teams can absorb a 12 plus million dollar cap hit. And the Browns couldn't either, which is why the Vikings ended up eating an undisclosed portion of that salary. Like you got to read between the lines with those uh, rap sheet tweets because it smelled fishy and it turned out to be pretty fishy, like the rework contract. But look, do you want to get nothing for him? And he ended up getting something decent in return. I think the one real criticism I have here is they didn't actually gain any draft picks. They just improved on draft picks. And that that's becoming a a normal for Quasi. The TJ Hawkinson trade was the exact same way. Um, they, they only gained one draft pick with the five that were traded with the Detroit Lions move. Like, I I find it interesting that he's not trying to acquire necessarily more picks when he's at a at a disadvantage with how many he's already traded away, but he instead he's just trying to improve them. I I find that part intriguing, and I'm going to keep an eye on that as he continues to make moves throughout his tenure here. Thor, what do you think? Um, well, I thought it was, I thought it was a really good trade. Uh, I mean, because you I mean you were going to cut the guy right, like because you had signed Davenport. And I seen a bunch of the Vikings fans on Twitter, like, oh, you know, why didn't Quasey get more? Why didn't he get more? It's like Quasey been talking to everyone around the league for months now about this. You can rest assured that was the best offer he got. And the more surprising thing was he got any at all. Everybody knew that he was going to have to cut Zadarius Smith. He'd already signed Marcus Davenport essentially for the same money. The trade isn't Zadarius Smith to move up on, you know, like a round or two on two consecutive day threes and next two drafts. It's that plus Marcus Davenport. So you you trade out Zadarius Smith, you get back Marcus Davenport, plus you move up on day three the next two years. It's good business. That's that's good process. I understand why they would swap out Zadarius for for Marcus Davenport. Your Marcus Davenport's only on the one year deal. If he blows up, you can franchise tag him. He he can't walk. You know with just you know whatever after that. If he doesn't, you move on to someone else. We were talking earlier about the potential of maybe in the next draft edge rusher might be a position that you prioritize that would most likely be in a scenario where you're going to move on for Davenport after the year. But again, you have that flexibility. Whereas with Zedaria Smith, he's, you know, over the 30, he's over 30 years old and he has knee problems and he's injured every single year. And 
like down the stretch every year if he's not injured his you know his play goes down whatnot so I totally understood that and then you're able to to hold on to him when I I thought they absolutely were gonna have to cut Zedaria Smith I did not think a trade was coming through for Zedaria Smith but Kwesi held hold, held on to him and admirably was able to maneuver around in free agency despite having that cap hold that Zedarius, you know, like, you know, you had to allot to him, whatever. And then, you know, after the draft, then you're able to find a trade suitor for him. And it made sense also why the Browns would go after him. You know, I mean, they needed an edge rusher cross from Garrett, whatnot. Now, now they have that. I, I thought it was a win-win. But for Kwesi, that move in particular, like, I, I thought that was just strong business. Love it. Uh, boys, before we wrap up here, Dalvin Cook's still out there. Uh, they're... I, I personally think this is heading towards a June 1st cut. Uh, I don't think you're going to get two fifth-round picks like they kind of did for Zaria Smith here. And Zaria Smith obviously plays a more premium position uh, and a more valuable position. I think that the that other teams value outside of running back. Are you guys kind of in the same camp that you're probably looking at another June 1st cut uh, or at least a post-June 1st cut for Dalvin Cook? Is there a trade that you could possibly put in the works? I guess, Tyler, what do you kind of feel like the Vikings are going to do with Dalvin Cook here? Trade's possible. Um, I think at this point, uh, take a seven. Just like he's worth more than that, like on the field. But when you consider the contract and the fact that because he had the shoulder surgery, he had another $2 million fully guaranteed, that makes cutting him even less of a uh, financial benefit. But if you trade him, you get that money back. So you'd save uh, almost $8 million by trading him. By cutting him pre-June 1st, it's about $6 million. Cutting him post-June 1st, it's 9 And then you absorb the rest of that later. I, ideally, you'd want to trade him, but it was a very deep running back class. There were some good running backs available on the UDFA market, um, as you can kind of tell by like reading uh, Thor's UDFA rankings. I, I think it's really difficult to trade a guy like Cook unless you get a team like Buffalo who just wants to be like, all right, you could potentially put us over the top. Like the Dolphins were a big contender, but they drafted Devin A. Chain in the third round, who is a legit track star. Like, I don't know if there's really a market for him in the trade. Probably going to be a June 1st cut, but the only reason they still have him is they want to make a trade. Thor, how about you? Do you think they're going to cut him? Can you find like a seventh or a sixth for him? To Tyler's point, you know, yes, he's more valuable than that, but his contract makes things pretty difficult. What do you think the future holds for Dalvin? Yeah, so you know, I I had I had been told that you know in, in the the weeks leading up to the draft that the Vikings had uh, uh, agreed in in principle the parameters of a trade with an AFC team for Delvin Cook. Um, I I didn't want to say what team that was, but that team may or may not have taken a running back during the draft, and and that's that's one of those things where you know that's sort of the risk of like well you know like you know in a couple months here you know like right now where we're sitting this is sort of the sort of thing that we could do. But let's see how it plays out during the draft, whatnot. I don't know if that team selecting a, a running back is going to disincentivize them from uh, going through with that that trade. We're going to find out here in uh, about two weeks or a little bit more. Or if if it does, and, and the interest there has become just a bit more tepid as far as as that transaction. If you brought up another team that has been that has been bandied about, uh, another AFC team would is would someone else get involved with that? Um, I like. Like it, for me, it was like harder to trade Zadarius than it would be Delvin. So I like I'm not putting it past you know whatever. Even if if the team that they had talked extensively about Delvin with that that they might be out because of the running back thing, I I think it's still in play. But that certainly complicates it where your number one suitor has now 
used a, a pick on a running back that was a very good fit for that team. So I, I understand why they would have done that. Uh, again, I don't know if that changes their thinking at all or if this opens it up to other people, but I would still like to think that either way, uh, Trey going to go through, but I haven't gotten a text returned on that subject recently, which might not be, might not be a good sign, we'll, but we'll end up seeing yeah, it definitely feels like it's the next uh, significant domino to fall for this Vikings offseason. We'll see what happens uh, after that as well. Uh, Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel and the Purple Daily podcast feed. Give us a five-star review on Apple or however you listen via Spotify. Uh, the Score North app, too, is a central hub for everything we do. Uh, for Thor and Tyler, I'm Declan Goff. Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily podcast and YouTube feeds. We'll be back next week. See ya.